Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project, by me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet the bishop who stared down the last of the Danish Vikings. Name, William. Status, Saint. Life, died 1074 AD. Feast, September 2nd. This time, Sven Estridsen, Denmark's last Viking king, had gone too far. It was New Year's Day, the Feast of the Circumcision of Christ, and King Sven invited his nobles to a feast. Some of Sven's nobles had too much to drink. Maybe they thought they couldn't be overheard, or maybe they were too drunk to care, but when they were in their cups, they started talking about their king. We don't know what they said, but we can guess. Perhaps they said that Sven was not fit to be king. Now, it was true that Sven had not been the first in line, and perhaps as a boy he had been intended to join the church. That would explain why he could read and write in Latin, and how he became an authority on the geography and lore of the North. And yet, this learning did not prevent Sven from being an effective warrior on land and sea, or from being a generally good king who brought peace and prosperity to his people. Perhaps the drunken nobles complained that Sven was unlucky. There was some truth to this as well. Again and again, Sven had clashed with Harald Hardrada, king of Norway, a man who had killed a dragon in Constantinople, or so they said. Sven lost almost every encounter, never able to pin Harald down when he had the advantage in numbers. It helped that Harald was ruthless, tossing prisoners overboard to delay Sven when Sven's fleet had the advantage. So maybe Sven was unlucky, but the wiser men of Denmark noticed that Sven had the kind of luck that won wars, not battles. Harald got killed fighting for the crown of England, but when Sven fought in England, it just made him, and Denmark, wealthier. It may even be that some of the lords at Sven's feast dared to call Sven a cripple. Yes, the old Viking king walked with a limp, a reminder of an old wound, but everyone knew of his strength and personal bravery. On one occasion, Harold's men had been on Sven's ship and had killed every other man on board until Sven was fighting them all alone. It was only when he was the last man standing that he escaped over the side. Or perhaps the nobles just complained that Sven, their king, was prone to anger. And if so, they were more right than they knew. For when Sven heard that his lords had insulted him at his own table, he was furious. The lords, probably nursing hangovers, had gone to morning prayer at the cathedral in Roskilde, 
a little west of Copenhagen. That was where Sven's men found them. The soldiers burst into the church, but far from acknowledging that the nobles should have been given sanctuary in a church, they killed them. Perhaps Sven thought that the Bishop of Roskilde would understand. A king had to keep up appearances, and Bishop William was one of Sven's oldest friends. William was not a Dane. He was English, probably a Saxon. When William was a young man, the Viking Knut had become king over England, Norway, and Denmark. William joined Knut's entourage in England and had traveled back to Denmark with the king. He had been shocked at the state of the church he found there. The English were rediscovering Christianity. England had become Christian under the Romans. It had been invaded by pagan Saxons, who converted under kings like St. Oswald. Then England was invaded again, this time by pagan Vikings, only for them to become Christians in their turn. Here in the north, William found that Christianity was only now taking root. In theory, the Archbishop of Hamburg was in charge of all the men of the north, but many had not yet been converted. Even among those who were Christians, many still traveled up to the pagan celebrations at Uppsala in Sweden. Whole peoples, like St. Gottschalk's Wends, vacillated between Christianity and paganism. And who knew what happened up in the distant north, where Adam of Bremen recorded that women grew beards and men used strange magic to draw great sea monsters from the deep. I like to think that, as an outsider, William could appreciate much of what was beautiful in the northern approach to Christianity. The pagans believe that this Middle Earth of ours is formed around a gigantic tree. The god Odin was said to have hung on that tree to learn the wisdom of the runes. Early Christians fought against the worship of the old gods of the north. But Christians also recognized that these myths could be doorways into the Christian faith that God had perhaps always intended them to faintly echo the truth of the Gospels. For hadn't the world's hope hung on the tree of the cross? The strange construction of wooden churches, called stave churches, echoes this idea of the importance of the tree. And in the Heliand, a ninth-century poem that tells the Gospel story using the metaphors of the pagan north, The apostles ask Jesus for the secret of the runes, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. In time, King Knut died, but William remained in Denmark. Kings came and went, and William was promoted to bishop by his superior in Hamburg. When Sven became king, although William was much older, the two became friends. Just as Sven was a Viking who could have been a churchman, Bishop William was a cleric whose disposition would have made him a good Viking. He was uncompromising. He was physically powerful. Like Sven, he was not a man you wanted to anger. It is not surprising that William saw in King Sven a man who could build the church, and Sven saw in William a kind of father figure. Over the years, William had been slowly working to make Sven a more Christian king. There was the issue of women. Sven was a Viking, after all, 
and he had both wives and concubines and many, many children. Many of his boys would be kings, and one of his daughters, Siegfried, would become the wife of St. Gottschalk. William slowly tried to get Sven to become monogamous, a hopeless task, according to the German priest Adam of Bremen, for Danes just couldn't help themselves. The most illustrious king of the Danes was afflicted with incontinence only in respect to women, yet not of his own will, in my opinion, but from racial vice. And yet, over the years, William's patience had won out. Sven had abandoned his wild life and settled down with just one woman. There was still a problem, though. The woman was a close relative. Danish custom didn't object, but the church did, and according to them, the marriage was incestuous. The early church worked hard to prevent incestuous marriages. Indeed, the slow stamping out of cousin marriages likely contributed to the health and intelligence of Europeans in future generations. King Sven was not happy at the attempt to have his marriage annulled. William pointed out the issue. So did a nearby bishop. Eventually, the Archbishop of Hamburg got involved. Sven threatened to burn down Hamburg. The Archbishop continued to insist, and moved his residence to Bremen, just in case. It was Bishop William's approach as a friend and advisor that had finally gotten through to the king. Sven's rage drained away. His wife understood the situation. Possibly she had always understood it. Her reaction was to take vows of chastity. She would become known for her gift of sewing beautiful and intricate designs. One of these was a beautiful priest's chasuble, which she gave to the cathedral at Roskilde. Under Bishop William's guidance, Sven had largely learned to control his temper. A young noble, also called Sven, had become a priest under Bishop William. Father Sven hadn't spent his youth studying. He had spent his youth fighting. He was a good man, one who knew how to speak to ordinary people. But when it came to saying mass, Father Sven had no idea what the Latin words meant. He just sounded them out on the page. One day, the king was in church, and the other priests played a rather mean prank on Father Sven. They stole his mass book and erased a little bit of one word. Then they sat back and waited for the fireworks. Peter Fisher's translation can help us make sense of what happened. What Father Sven was supposed to do was pray for the king, an assistant to God. But the other priests had erased the istant bit, so that he prayed for the king, an ass to God. In Latin, they removed the fa from famulus, turning it into mulus. I imagine Father Sven's eyes growing wide as he realized that his book had been tampered with. But he didn't remember what it should have said, and he couldn't speak Latin to improvise. There was no way to course correct. So he just read it as he saw it. King Sven, of course, had good Latin. The king's face turned red with anger. The other priests turned red, too, trying not to laugh. Finally, they couldn't hold it in anymore and burst out cackling in the middle of mass. Saxo Grammaticus sniffs that there was so much laughter that religion itself deteriorated into a sport because they were so tickled by the joke. After the service, 
The king marched up to the doubtless terrified Father Sven and grabbed the mass booklet. When he looked at it, he could see what had happened. Yes, Father Sven had been tricked. The king also probably knew that Bishop William was preparing Father Sven to take his place. So the king told the other priests that they were immature children and paid for Father Sven to go to a university. By the time Father Sven became Bishop Sven of Roskilde, he was one of the best Latinists in the diocese. For years now, Bishop William and King Sven had trusted one another. Perhaps Sven thought that the bishop would be willing to let the killing in his cathedral slide for the sake of their long friendship. In any event, the bishop made no mention of what had happened. So one day after, Sven came to the church for Mass. But when Bishop William heard that the king was coming, he marched out to meet him at the door. If the old stave church was meant to remind one of the world tree of Norse myth, there's an important detail in that myth. The Norse believed that this age would end at Ragnarok, a final conflict of good and evil. But afterward, they thought the world would begin again, new gods would arise, and mankind would be preserved. When the stars fall from the black sky and gods and giants march to final battle, it is through the world tree that one man and one woman would be saved. The myths said that the tree would open a small door into itself and into safety for one man and one woman. This idea of being saved by the tree, inside the tree, is implicit in the way stave churches were built. It's a small detail that was picked up by the anonymous author of the Saxon poem, The Dream of the Rood. Through the cross, each soul may journey to the heavens from this earth, who with the ruler thinks to go and dwell. That is why Bishop William met King Sven right at the door. He is usually shown holding up a hand to stop the king, but Saxo Grammaticus presents William as a lot angrier than that. He stood in the doorway and jammed the point of his crozier into the king's chest and began to preach. Sven wasn't a king, he said. He was a butcher of men. He didn't belong in the church. There and then, Bishop William excommunicated his old friend. Sven's men, obviously willing to shed blood, drew their blades. The last time the church had threatened him, Sven had promised to storm Hamburg. But when they looked at the king, they saw that he had been caught completely unaware. If the bishop's crozier was hurting him, his own conscience was doing much worse. Sven walked back to his house and changed into the clothes of a penitent. Then he came back to the church. And that was Bishop William's opportunity to surprise his friend, the king, a second time. Now that Sven was approaching the church in the right way, the bishop ran out to meet him, once again at the church door, to receive his confession, assign a penance, and welcome Sven back in. Bishop William was as eager to readmit his friend as he had been to stop him. These events, writes Saxo Grammaticus, brought about an indissoluble union between crown and clergy. William's boldness hadn't alienated the last Viking king. It had transformed him, and with him, slowly, the kingdom of Denmark. 
by the time the courageous St. William was buried in Roskilde Cathedral, still by the side of his friend Sven. The children of Sven were discovering different ways to be manly and good, ways that were less impetuous, less fueled by raw aggression, but no less manly for that. One of Sven's many sons, in fact, joined the First Crusade. The age of the Viking was ending. The age of the great knights of Christendom had begun.